Good morning. Good to see all of you. Before we uh, dig into scripture, I want to just take a moment um, to do something I think is very important for us to do. I don't know about you, but, you know, with everything going on in our world these days in our own nation, my gratitude level for those who, men and women who serve defending this country, whether it's in a, another nation, another land, some other part of the world, or within our own nation, and with what's happened in Omaha this past week and this city itself. Did you feel the same thing? I mean, just so grateful. So grateful. And uh, so grateful for family members who, you know, are willing to give them to do that. And so I just want to take a moment to pray before we dig into Scripture, okay? Father, we are, um, every single one of us sitting in this room today, we're the ones who benefit from those who are willing to put their lives out there on the line for us. Father, we, we benefit from those who've done that in the past. We benefit from those who do that today. We thank you for them. We thank you for every person who has given their life for the lives of others. We thank you, Father, for those who are right now serving in some part of our world or in our nation or in this city, who are giving their, their all, their very best to defend, to defend us. We thank you for them. We thank you for their families, for husbands and wives and children and father, fathers and mothers who have given someone they love so much for all of us. God, we pray for those fathers who are serving in this way in, in right now, in this day in which we live. We ask, Father, for your protection. We ask for your strength. We ask, God, that you would guide them in what they are doing. And we ask, God, that they might, they might know your love and your grace in their own lives, that they might be able to know you through Christ. And Father, we pray for family members. Father, as recently as this week in our own city, we pray for that family, God, and for all the other families they represent who have lost someone they love so dearly. We ask for your grace and your strength in their lives. Father, we pray for all of us that we would have this constant sense of gratitude. And never take the freedom that we have for granted and the safety that we have, Father, for granted. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. We began this uh, three-week series last Sunday. And we're talking about a frustration we've all experienced at some point in our lives. And we've, that's true for all of us wherever we might be add in our own spiritual journey, our relationship with God. It might be that you're here today and, and you, really, you really doubt that there even is a God. Or you might believe there's a God, but you don't believe in the God of Christianity. Or it might be that you're here today and 
You do believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in him as God's son. You've trusted in him as your savior. Wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, it's very likely we've all experienced a very hard time in our lives and we pleaded with God to change what's gone so wrong. You prayed and you prayed, but nothing changes, nothing gets better. And you've come away thinking that God never heard your prayer or God didn't care all that much for you or even you've even wondered if there is a God. You prayed, God, I need a job. God, I need my marriage to be so much better than it is. God, I need my child to get well. God, I need a friend. God, I, I need my parents to stop fighting. God, I, 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 need to be, I need to have a restored relationship with my son or with my daughter. God, I need direction from my life. You pray to prayer like this and nothing changes. And as hard as this is, what makes it even harder is to see people around you where, as far as you can see, it just seems like life just works for them. It seems like they have it all. And some of those people are not good people. They, they do not hesitate to do wrong. They, they care little to nothing about other people, and they don't give a thought about God. And yet you look at their lives, and what you, can, what you see, it seems as if their lives are as smooth and trouble-free as any life can be. All the while, all the while, you're trying to do the right thing and life for you only gets harder. Whether this really hurts is have someone tell you that you need more faith in God or that you need to pray more, you need to pray differently, or that you need to get rid of some kind of sin in your life. In other words, you're saying it's your fault. Almost as bad is Hearing someone say something, and I'll be blunt, something as stupid as this. The other day I was at the mall, and I was in a hurry. I had so much to do, and I, I needed a parking spot quickly. And so I prayed to God, God, you know how busy I am. You know how much I've got on my calendar right now. So God, would you find me a parking spot, a really good one? And they say, it happened. Here I was, I was driving, and suddenly this lady pulls out, and it's like the best parking spot I could possibly have. And God answered my prayer. All the while, they say this to you while you're asking God to heal your child, or to get you a job, or to restore your broken marriage. And so when this happens, you want to say to them, you're joking with me, right? You're, you're not really serious. You're not really serious. Hearing enough of this kind of stuff is what makes, really makes a person pull away from Christians. In fact, in fact, for some of you, it might be that you, that might be the reason you dropped out of church. And today might be the for you, the first time you've been back in church for a very long time, and right now you're thinking to yourself, this guy better not blow it. He, he, he better not make something look easy that is very hard. He better not give me any kind of a formula on how to pray. I got to tell you, I'm 100% with you on this one. It's the last thing I'd want anybody to do to me. It's the last thing that I'd want to do to anybody else. And I, I'm saying this because seeing the physical suffering 
of my mom for the first 25 years of my life and going through the experience of God never making that suffering go away, no matter how much I prayed, drove into me to never give the wrong answer or a stupid answer or an easy answer to anybody who's suffering. I wrestled with this so much in my own life that, you know, to ever, I mean, to ever want to create confusion and despair for another person and the impact that this can have on every one of our lives is so great that I would never want to be irresponsible with this kind of thing. I mean, if there's anything <laughs> that I've wanted to get right in my 39 years of preaching, it's what we're talking about these three Sundays. My passion for this went to another level after our son Greg died in 2011. I, I can guarantee you, you experience the loss of your child and you will never, ever play around with wrong answers or stupid answers or easy answers to another person's suffering. <laughs> so what Jeff and I are doing these three weeks is help all of us see how God can take what is so hard in our lives, what seems so wrong, what is so difficult to understand, and how God can redeem it for something that has great purpose to it, what's honoring to God, and what really, and what's life-changing for us and for the people who know us. The, the word we're using for the series is repurposed, and uh, it, which is something which is definitely a trend these days, taking something that was made for one purpose and instead of tossing it out when that purpose is, is complete, you, 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 you reclaim it for another purpose. And, and so I, and I think this bumper video that we showed this morning is like my absolute favorite because it just visualizes this so well for us. In fact, um, listening to Jeff last Sunday when he talked about... Uh, how much wood from old barns is worth? Like, what did he say? $20 to $40 a, a linear foot? I did the math, and I, and I, I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, I really have a whole lot more respect for my dad and mom's, the barn on the farm. You know, like, why did we ever let that wood go? You know, we should have at least taken some of it and kept it, you know. But here's the deal. Repurposing isn't a trend with God. God has been doing it since he first created mankind. God takes the hardest times in our lives, the most difficult circumstances, and God repurposes them for his own glory and for our good and for the good of people whose lives we impact. Now, we're seeing this through three men who God obviously obviously loved, and don't forget what I just said there, who God obviously loved and who loved God themselves. Three men who went through a time when God didn't do what they hoped God would do, a time when they could have asked the question that it's likely every single one of us have asked at least at one point in our life, why, why doesn't God do something, what, about this, Right? Three different men in three different circumstances. 
Each man receiving God's answer to this question, and each man learning, really, learning the single most important thing that any one of us can learn through the hard times in our lives. It gives us, brings us back to the same truth that Jeff pointed out to us last Sunday, this truth, who you find in the trial, and I'll even personalize it more, who you find in your trial far outweighs the trial itself. Now, last Sunday, Jeff looked at John the Baptist. This morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about a, a man by the name of Paul. And for him, it was to find the God of all grace and the God of all strength, grace and strength for every trial in his life, in all of our lives. So let me tell you about Paul. Uh, if, if there's anyone whose life story really gives solid evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for Christianity, it's Paul. Because Paul hated Christianity. In fact, his goal was to crush it once and for all. He, he wanted to end it before it even had much of, a, much of a chance to begin. But then he saw the risen Christ and everything changed. This man who had dedicated his life to destroying the church became a devoted follower of Christ. And all of that energy, all of that passion that once was put into trying to destroy the church now was put into spreading the message of God's grace all over the world. And so he spent a, a few years getting trained. He spent some time with Peter. He spent some time with James, the brother of Jesus. And then for 20 years... He launched out into the world to take the gospel to places that it had never been taken before. 20 years traveling around the Mediterranean Rim into very hostile places, bringing the amazing message that God had done something totally unique. God the Father, eternal God, had sent his son into this world to die for the sin of mankind. I don't know if you know Paul's story, but... This guy was in shipwrecks. He was repeatedly beat up and imprisoned. He lived in constant danger. He experienced extreme hunger and thirst. Everything about his life was hard. Everything was hard. But the hardest of all, the hardest of all was the suffering he experienced at the hands of Satan himself. And so that brings us to the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, what we know as 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, in the 12th chapter, and, and a, a chapter that is in the midst of a section where Paul is defending his authority to speak for God. Something that Paul didn't want to do, but something that he had to do, because when he left Corinth, there were a group of, of rogue leaders who came into this church to do everything they could to undermine his leadership. This was, a, this was a dangerous time for the church in Corinth. These men were promoting a counterfeit form of Christianity, one that was creating confusion in the minds of these believers. And so Paul is forced to get in the ring with these men, put on his spiritual boxing gloves, and defend his own authority, his own credentials to defend himself. Something that he didn't want to do, but something he knew that he had to do which is why he wrote what he did, and I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, what he, what he wrote in the 11th chapter where he describes 
the extent of the suffering that he endured as he was bringing the gospel to other people. Not only to the Corinthians, but really to people throughout the Roman Empire. You want to read that 11 chapters sometime. You read it, and one of the things you get a sense is, is how, how uncomfortable it was for Paul in writing uh, uh, what he did. It, it was all boasting. It was all boasting, and, and he didn't like to do it. But he knew that he had to do it if there was going to be any chance of, Corinth, of convincing the Corinthians of his authority as an apostle. And so he does that in all of chapter 11, and then he continues into chapter 12, where he tells these believers of a vision that he had of heaven 14 years earlier. And as you, I mean, as you can imagine, what must have been an absolutely incredible experience. And the only clue Paul gives us to how amazing it really is is what he wrote here in this chapter in verses 3 and 4. And so I, I love how he wrote this. Uh, Paul really doesn't want to do this, okay? And so he, he does kind of a, kind of a fun thing. It's like, uh, you know, if, if I knew him, I'd kind of like I'd want to play with him a little bit on, on this one. Because he, he, he doesn't even directly refer to himself. He speaks in the third person. That's how he begins. He said, I know that this man, he's talking about himself, but he's like, I don't want to do this. So it's just, he's just really having to work at this. He said, I know that this man whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. This was such a powerful experience that Paul couldn't even tell, was I really there physically, literally in heaven, or is it something that God gave me a vision of heaven? All right, so he's being real open about this. He said, I know that there was this man who was caught up to paradise, heaven, and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, I got, I got, you know, how unfair is that of God? You know, gives Paul this vision of heaven, whether he was there or he saw it. And, and then God says to him before it's all over, he said, you can't tell anybody what you heard or what you saw. I mean, that's just not fair. You know, right? Wouldn't you agree? Just not, not fair. But what Paul does tell us is that God saw a danger for him in what he experienced. And the danger was one of spiritual pride, of, of potential conceit. So to prevent this from happening, God allows Satan to inflict suffering on Paul. And here's how Paul described this in verse 7. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan torment me. Now, there's been a fair amount of speculation by biblical scholars what this thorn was for Paul. Something it was his mother-in-law. Uh, okay. All right, good. You got that. Okay. Now, I, you know, for, before first service, before first service, I, I was praying with a couple of guys, and I, and I told them I was going to say that, and one guy said, don't. The other guy said, go for it. So I said, you know, I'll kind of go by how friendly the audience looks. So I got to tell you, I love my mother-in-law. I'm in awe of her. So I hope you take this. This is just a joke, okay? No, but here, seriously, the idea heard most often is that it was some sort of unrelenting, awful physical pain that Paul was going through. And whatever it was, 
It was about as bad as it gets. In fact, the word thorn would be more, even better translated as stake, as a stake, to get us some kind of idea what, what we're talking about. This, this was no small pain. Paul lived with it continually. And so it was like a stake that Satan was driving into him. It was, it was so awful that it tormented him every hour of every day. It was a part of his life. And so Paul did what, what I think any one of us would do. He prayed. And so he writes this in verse 8. This is how he prayed. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Sound familiar? Anybody here ever plead with God? To plead with God? I'll tell you what, I sure have. Eh? In fact, I've probably done it enough for all of us. Okay? Paul did what you and I do. When there's pain in our lives, we ask God to take it away, to fix, fix whatever it is that's causing us pain. It doesn't matter what that pain might be. It might be emotional pain. It might be physical pain. It, it might be relational pain. It might be financial pain. It might be work pain. Whatever it is, when there is pain in our life, we ask God to fix it, right? Exactly what Paul did, and he did it three times. Now, it's easy to understand why. Let's just think about this for a minute. Here's a guy who's called by God to the, really the most important thing that anybody could be doing in that generation, and that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it doesn't just stay within the Jewish people, within the nation of Israel, but to take it to all people throughout the world. I mean, how important is that? And at the end of the day, he was very successful in what he did. Because, because of him, the gospel was brought throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, I would say he laid the foundation of the church. In fact, truth is, without Paul, or if God would have used, if, if it wouldn't have been Paul, somebody else like Paul, without Paul, it's likely you and I would not be here today. I mean, that's how significant his ministry really was. Now, here's what I think. Knowing what we know about Paul... I'm betting that when he pleaded with God to take this thorn away, this stake away, that it wasn't about himself, that he, that he wouldn't have to suffer. I'm betting it was more about the hindrance that he thought that that suffering would be for him to be able to do what God had called him to do. And I'm guessing that when he pleaded with God three times, it doesn't mean that he, he, you know, he pleaded on Monday and then he did it again on Tuesday and then he did it again on Wednesday and then he said to himself, well, I guess, I guess it's not going to happen. See, I don't think it was that. I think these were like seasons of prayer. Extended times of prayer when it got so bad for Paul that, that he didn't know how he could go on. It could have been days and nights of prayer that he pleaded with God. And this, this was not prayer without emotion. It wasn't like, you know, kind of flipping kind of a way where he said, God, it would be, it would be so nice if you'd do this for me. Not that. Pleaded with God. God, I need you to do this. God, I cannot go on with this, with this pain. It's more than I can bear. So let me ask you. Anybody else ever done what I've done more than a few times? Anybody ever bargain with God? Huh? Anybody, be honest. Anybody ever bargain? God, if you do this, then I'll do that, you know. You know, I think of Paul. <laughs> Boy, did he have bargaining power or what? 
You know, God, look at what you've called me to do. Look at all the opposition that I'm facing. God, I want to stay faithful to you. God, I want to do what you've called me to do. But God, I don't see how I can keep on going with this tormenting pain. It's more than I can bear. (laughs) Makes me wonder how God could have ever have said no to Paul. (laughs) You know? It's like... Well, he got him there. He got God there. But you know what? God did not answer Paul's prayer. At least not the way Paul hoped God would answer it. That's what he writes. This is probably one of the best verses in the Bible. Paul said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. Weakness. You know what I think? I, I think we could stop right here and go home and we'd, we'd have something we could take with us. Here, here's why. Isn't it true that there are times when God doesn't answer our prayer that we, we're tempted to think, or we might, you know, we're not even tempted, we just do, that the reason that happens is that God's not a, aware of us God's not listening to us, or God doesn't care. I mean, think about this. If there's anyone God would care for, it's Paul. And if there's anyone God would listen to, it's Paul. And if there's anyone God would be aware of, it would be Paul. I don't think I'm stretching it to say that next to Jesus... God used Paul more than any other man to impact the world. And it it was to this man, to Paul, that God said, no. Don't let that one pass without getting what that means for all of us. And here's what not to miss. God's answer, God's promise was even better than what Paul asked God to do. And what God promised Paul, he promises to each one of us, which brings us back to the key truth in this series. series, What what Jeff said last week, what we're saying now, and we'll say again next Sunday, who you find in the trial, who you find in your trial, far outweighs the trial itself. For Paul, it was to find the God of all grace, the God of all strength, grace and strength for every trial. And so that's why Paul writes, as God said to him, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what grace is in in this context? It's simply the ability to put one foot in front of the other. In the hardest of times... It's the ability to get up and get through another day. It's the ability to keep on going in spite of the fact that nothing around you has gotten better. Nothing has changed. Grace is the ability to find the strength and to find the faith to keep on moving in the direction that God would have you move when everything about your life is pushing back against you. That's what we're talking about. And so God said to Paul... I'm not taking this pain away, but I will give you the grace to deal with it, to keep moving forward with it. And then God gave the reason, and I just love it. He said, God said, for my power is made perfect, is maximized in weakness. Honestly, everybody, none of us would sign up for this. 
Here's our version. I'll give you a couple examples. We want to be the guy in the end zone with the football under his arm, with, with his finger on the other hand, pointing up to God and giving God the glory as he makes the touchdown. Or we want to get the salesperson of the year award and be up there behind the podium and, and, and they ask us to say a few words. And we're holding our little piece of glass. And, and, and we say our thanks to the company for the opportunity it's given us. And we thank the people who work with us. And last but not least, we thank God. We're all about giving God glory. But we don't want God to leverage his glory out of our weakness. We want God to leverage his glory out of our talent, out of our opportunity, out of our strength, out of our accomplishments. And God does that sometimes. But sometimes God says, no. No, I'm not going to leverage your success. And I'm not going to leverage the skill that I've given to you. And I'm not going to leverage the opportunities I've given you. In this situation, in this situation, for this time in your life, I'm going to leverage your weakness. I'm going to leverage your inability. I'm going to get the glory from you but I'm going to do it on the stage of your weakness, not your strength. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, the good news about all of this is that none of us get to choose because none of us would choose this. None of us would choose anything close to the torment that Paul was experiencing. But here's what's so powerful about it. Here's what you don't want to miss. When you meet someone whose life circumstances are unbelievably hard, but they persevered through it, and there's a strength about them, there's, there's a quality about their character, a piece that anybody would love to have, isn't it true when you meet somebody like this, you're in awe of them? You have so much respect for that person. And if you ask them how they do it, and they say it's only because of God's grace and God's power, doesn't this make you more in awe of God than, than the greatest success any person could possibly have because of all the skills and the opportunities that God's given to them? Don't get me wrong. I love seeing people give God credit for success in their life. I mean, anytime someone gives God glory, I'm all for it. But the person who strengthens my faith the most, the person who challenges and encourages and inspires me the most, is the person God's chosen to showcase his strength in their weakness. They're the ones. Make me say to myself, there's got to be a God. There's no other possible explanation for this person being the way they are and doing what they do. So heads up. Heads up if hard times are in your future. And here's comfort. If hard times are where you're at today, God will showcase his strength in your weakness if you trust no for his answer. And it doesn't mean he loves you any less. And it doesn't mean he's lacking compassion toward you. And it doesn't mean he's absent from your life. It means the very opposite. It's all about his love for you and his compassion toward you in his presence in your life. In fact, in fact, God's strength in your weakness emphasizes 
his presence. And that's why Paul went on to say this, and I love it. He said, therefore, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I, I, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. And then he gave a lie. He said, for when I am weak, when I'm weak, when I am weak, oh, it's then that I'm strong. Paul's not making this up, okay? He's not making this up. He's not playing games. He's, he's 100% genuine in what he's saying. And i got to tell you, there was a whole lot of success in Paul's life that he gave God the glory for. But here he's saying, the greatest glory that God's received through my life is what God's done in and through me in my weakness. When there was nothing in me to make it happen. Tell you what, tell you what. You meet somebody like this and it takes your breath away. It does. It just takes your breath away. They point you to God more than anybody else can. And here's the wonderful truth in all of this, okay? Here's the wonderful truth. Sometimes God says no. But when God says no, he's always saying yes. No, I'm not going to change your circumstances. No, I'm not going to fix this for you. But yes. But yes, my grace will give you what, you're, what you need. Yes, my strength will be maximized in your weakness. So, here's what I'd like us to leave with today. I've got a few things here I'd like to share with you. Number one, we do have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. We do, we have permission. And it's not a lack of faith to do this, whatever, whoever that thorn might be. Number two, God might say yes and God might say no. Either answer doesn't mean God loves you more, God loves you less. Number three, by the way, if you can't write these down fast enough, uh, we'll make sure you got them, okay? Or you can go online and listen to the sermon again. Number three, God may showcase his power on the on the stage of your weaknesses. Your circumstances may never change. Some things may never get better. Some things may never work out. Some things may never be healed. Some things may never come back together. And that's not a, a lack of, that, that's not a reflection of God's lack of concern for you. It's God's opportunity to showcase his strength in the midst of your weakness. Number four, you can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. You see, sustaining grace begins with all of us saying what Jesus Christ said in the garden before he was crucified. As he was praying to his father and he was struggling with the agony that he was going to be experiencing on the cross. And he, 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 just, I mean, he just prayed his heart out. And at the end of it all, he, what did he say? Not my will but your will be done. Begins when you say, if this is what you've chosen for me, God, God, I'm going to trust you for the strength to do what I don't have the strength to do. Number five, God is most glorified when we trust him in the midst of our hard times. Oh, it's true. 
It's true. When God's grace and God's power are showcased in our weakness, there's nothing that beats that. Nothing that beats it. And so it brings us back to the key truth for this series. Who you find in the trial, in your trial, far outweighs the trial itself. And as it was for Paul, it can be for you and me, it can be for us, finding the God of all grace and all strength, grace and strength for every single trial in your life. I know that there are some of you here today, you're, you're right in it. You're right in the midst of it. Life right now is really hard. For some of you, it's been really hard for a long time. And so what I, wanted, what I, I want you to know, I really care. And I, I, before we leave this morning, before we sing our final song, I, I want us to spend time in prayer. But I also want you to know, never hesitate to tap my shoulder on a Sunday morning and say, Steve, would you pray for me? Or send us an email, send me an email. You know, this is one of the reasons why I believe so much in small groups. And so when you, go through, when you go through those hard times in your life, you're not alone. You have a group of people who care for you. And then let me, let me just say this. If you're here today and, and you wonder if there's a God, you know, so you're really asking, very honestly asking that question, is there a God? Is there really a God? Here's what I can say from my own experience. Okay? There's a lot of reasons I believe there's a God. There's a lot of reasons I believe in Jesus Christ. Number one, his resurrection proved it beyond any doubt. But I just got to say this to you. I grew up watching my mom. I had 25 years watching her. A woman who, when she died at the age of 58, her body was so twisted and so destroyed by the rheumatoid arthritis, she looked like an 80-plus-year-old woman. And anybody who saw my mom in a wheelchair and saw her smile and heard her laugh would have said to themselves, how in the world can this lady smile? How can she laugh? And if they spent just a few, if they just spent an hour with my mom, I'll guarantee you, they would walk away from it and they'd go like, wow, how does she do it? And I had 25 years of seeing her character seeing how much he loved and cared for other people. And i got to tell you, one of the things it did for me, it convinced me that there's a God. Because I knew there was no way my mom could do this apart from her relationship with Christ. And then I can just tell you from back in my own experience, since we lost Greg, our son, the only way we've made it is by the grace of God. The only way we've been able to take one step after another and keep moving forward in life is because God truly was there for us and with us. God has given us the grace and the strength we've needed. I just want to say that. Whatever is worth for you as you're asking those questions. Okay? So I'd like to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to sing one more song this morning, okay? So let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, there's so many reasons I love you. There's so many reasons I, I want to praise you and thank you for everything you've done. But God, right at the top, 
right at the top, the very top, is that you were willing to suffer for each one of us in sending your son to this earth to be our savior. You gave your precious son for all of us. And then God, when I think of how much you've suffered through the ages, that you, a loving God who created us, gave us the privilege of life itself. And yet, God, how often have I, how often have all of us, in a kind of in a way, just kind of shaken our fist at you or rebelled against you and, and just said, God, I'm going to be my own God. How that must just break your heart. We're so grateful, God, that you would love us this much, that you just keep suffering for us. And God, I just pray for each, each person here this morning who is in that hard, hard time. God, I plead for your grace. I ask for your strength in their life. I pray, Father, that you would give them everything they need to keep on trusting you and allowing you, God, to do your work in their heart and through them into the hearts of others. For your glory and in the name of our precious Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen.